Some of the research we just did last year, we found that the plants uh, treated with our product actually push, put out more stomata on the new leaves that they build. So after they've been treated with our product, as they grow new growth, they actually have more stomata to the point of, in the trials that we did, we're looking at up to, um, you know, 40 and 50% more stomata on the leaves. Which is incredible. I mean, those are power plants. Yeah, exactly. It's like giving you a third lung and getting you to run a marathon. You know, you can actually take in more. And so because you can take in more um, CO2, then the plant can create a whole volume more glucose, which is the founding chemical of it all that comes from sunlight and air and water. And so, you know, um, I think I think that, that sort of drives then the results that we see because we Welcome to the Soilcraft Regen Agronomy Podcast. At Soilcraft, our mission is to innovate and lead in the field of regenerative agronomy, forging a path that empowers farmers to produce food that nourishes and heals both the planet and its inhabitants. Today, we are going to do a deep dive um, into Kevin Joyce, crop biolife, and then other things, which is where it really gets fun. Let's go ahead and just jump right into it. So, what is crop biolife? What does it do? And why should people know about it? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. It's uh, great to come and, uh, and see you guys, what you guys are doing up here in Washington. Um, so in a nutshell, crop biolife is a, it, we've taken uh, flavonoids, uh, being able to, flavonoids are a part of the plant's phenolic compounds. So, so every plant has flavonoids. Um, and the phenolic compounds, uh, in, a, in very basic terms, in my opinion, are the, are the nervous system of plants, of the way the plant communicates and, and senses its environment and communicates with its environment. Uh, and flavonoids form a, a significant part of that, um, those phenolic compounds. And we've managed to take flavonoids from a source and uh, put them in a package that you can actually spray on the leaves of a plant and the plant will accept those flavonoids, uh, all plants that we've tested on so far, we haven't found anything that's not responsive to them. And those flavonoids um, trigger uh, responses in the plant in metabolism. And uh, we've done some trials just recently um, and some scientific research down into the genetics of the plants and watching certain triggers being turned on in metabolism within the plant. And, um, and so... So the flavonoids are, are triggering very basic um, functions within the plant that enable it to assimilate nutrition better. And that assimilation in nutrition drives, again, basic functions. The, the best of them that we've measured is photosynthesis. So we've measured um, at extreme rates of ex improved photosynthesis. Um, and that, and that uh, produces uh, extra glucose that the plant can then used to assimilate and create uh, all the other things that the plant needs as far as its biomass. And, in the, and I guess a really important one in the discoveries of the recent years for us is the um, with all that extra glucose that it's being able to produce that carbohydrate, it's actually moving huge amounts of carbohydrates down to the roots and then exudating um, out, of the, out of the rhizosphere uh, and driving a, a big increase in the soil biology and, and um, plants nurture and feed soil biology um, and in return the biology feeds the roots and um, uh, feeds the plants nutrition 
and as we've discussed in previous uh, podcasts, uh, it's all about the plant's nutritional uh, uptake. And if you can um, if you can make that easy, because this bio, this biology, this uh, in healthy soil, there's seven billion organisms in a teaspoon of soil, and that those organisms are there to work the, work with the plant. They're not there for their own use; they're actually for the plant's use. Um, so uh, if you can keep that that biology happy, and the plant does that by feeding it carbohydrates, then the biology feeds back nutrition. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, flavonoids. I mean, you hear the flavonoids. Golly, yeah, flavonoids. I've heard of flavonoids. Flavonoids, you know. Yeah, the technical definition, right? They're polyphenolic compounds found in plants, and, and they play critical roles, growth, development, and defense, as you mentioned. Also, colors. Sure. Right, things that we know like astaxanthin and things like that, the red colors, the purple colors, and then it turns out that these compounds also bolster our immune systems. Sure. Yeah. Things like that. Purple so, food. Yeah. Purple food has got um, the, the most flavonoids for our dietary dietary needs. So purple carrots, purple um, cabbage, all those sorts of things. And the flavonoids are responsible for that. So, mm. I mean, there's a good reason to pay attention to them. Uptick, etc. But so, who's Kevin Joyce, though? I mean, you have a bit of an accent. I don't think it's from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a bit further down. A little bit over to the side. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you find yourself? Um, have you always been in agriculture? How did you find yourself coming to crop, crop bio life? And where you know, can you give me a bit of that? Uh, okay, I started uh, started my working life as a computer engineer, actually. So um, I uh, um, used to uh, work on mostly on uh, mini computers, so nothing to do with the big mainframe stuff, but certainly decent sized computers before the PC was ever invented. Um, so that shows my age. Um, did end up working with a little bit of the PC stuff at the end of it, but mostly that was telecommunications then. So moved into doing um, mostly telecommunications, worked in the banking sector around the world a little bit. And um, and then I uh, decided to start my own business in, I did a, had a business in health and safety and I met some guys during that. And when I sold that business off, I um, they asked me to come and help them um, get their products out. And so the company we the company that supplies crop biolife is a company called Ozsan. And uh, that accent's Australian and that's what Oz stands for. So the AUS for Oz and SAN for sanitizer. So the original oh. business was to deal with an, as an Australian sanitizer. Um, one of the things that flavonoids are really good at is uh, they're actually um, microscopically antimicrobial. So in other words, they can... Um, they they're, they're extremely safe as an as an antimicrobial or as a disinfectant even um, that because they can't harm any um, larger celled organism they only can affect microorganism cells and uh, and they're extremely effective at it. Excellent. So um, you mentioned a bit about plant physiology in particular, you, you were talking about photosynthesis, which is massive. Huh? I mean, plants, photosynthesis, it's, it's virtually everything. It's harvesting energy from the sun. And uh, as you were mentioning, we know with, with uh, photosynthate, plants can produce sugars, basic sugars. We know the higher the sugar, the more, the more defense the plant can mount or healthier the plant is. The complete proteins and all the way up to plant secondary metabolites, which 
Are bioflavonoids. Are bioflavonoids. So are you telling me that what you guys are finding is that when you apply these flavonoids to plants, a plant secondary metabolite, you're seeing a response and an uptick of production of plant secondary metabolites within the plant that's being treated? Yes. So... um, so in the research that we, we, we cut our teeth actually in the wine industry, so high value crop and um, I guess by uh, the understanding of, for the wine industry is that they, to, for them to understand how to make better wine, they measure everything. And because we were involved with the wine industry at first, we were actually able to collect a lot of data. And what we, know, what we saw was um, uh, some of the other polyphenols in the, in, in the plants were you know, going through the roof, there were big spikes in things like, particularly things that make um, grape, wine grapes taste better and or wine tastes better, so anthocyanins and things like that. And, and some of it, there's a defence um, uh, um, polyphenol called um, resveratrol, and if I pronounced that correctly, and um, those sorts of things were kicked up. And so none of those are in our product. Our product's got, some, got a group of little flavonoids, but those flavonoids through a huge amount of experimentation, we found the right ones that trigger the others to, or trigger the plant to synthesise more of those. So the plant then creates more flavonoids within it or more polyphenol compounds. And um, as you you touched on, you know, the the really important function is that, uh, that of of all those triggering mechanisms is that there's a kick in photosynthesis and and that's the latest research we've been doing is looking at that result and how, the, how that photosynthesis improves. And um, the th- important thing about the photosynthesis uh, in two ways is that photosynthesis um, begets more photosynthesis. It's basically once you can start the engine running, the plant goes and figures out how to get more of it um, to the point where some of the research we just did last year, we found that the plants uh, treated with our product actually push put out more stomata on the new leaves that they build. So after they've been treated with that product, as they grow new growth, they actually have more stomata to the point of, in the trials that we did, we're looking at up to, um, you know, 40 and 50% more stomata on the leaves. Which is incredible. I mean, those are power plants. Yeah, exactly. It's like giving you a third lung and getting you to run a marathon. You know, you can actually take in more. And so because you can take in more um, CO2, then the plant can create a whole volume more glucose, which is the founding chemical of it all that comes from sunlight and air and water. And so, you know, um, I think I think that that sort of drives then the results that we see because we, you know, over the years we've always described the product as a um, as a nutrient synergist, a nutrient enhancer. And because of all that extra energy, all that that those sugar levels within the plant, that the plant can then um, form all the compounds. You know, it takes the glucose and then forms amino acids, and it forms all the, you know, as you say, the polyphenol compounds and and the, the pure what biomass. You know, I I find uh, I was with a, a farmer one time, and I had actually visited his field when he was planting. You know, so it's a field of dirt, and he's out there planting the planting the seeds. It was actually uh, onions, and I went back at the end of the season, and it was just the field was full of all these onions you know and he's Australians have a good sense of humor and he and I said wow this is different to the last time I saw it and he said yeah where do you reckon it came from (laughs) 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 so so, you know you've got this entire field full of biomass if you want to call it that Uh but plant matter that 
came from sunlight, air and water really and then was able to assimilate that nutrition and form the structure of itself. So oh, good. So you did study some onions or some other crops. You were saying earlier that you, you cut your teeth in wine and, and it made all these improvements. And I was going to ask, was there a third party to that to verify that everybody wasn't just having good vibes from the tasty <laughs> wine? wine? Yes, that's right. <laughs> make, yeah. sure, make sure we've got a scientific method, just not, oh, you know, the longer we're here, the better this wine is getting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, these results look really good now that we've had so much wine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, exactly wow, that's fascinating. That's absolutely incredible to, absol- to actually increase the capacity, right, the structure of the plant such that, I mean, because we talk all the time about we know nutrients like iron and magnesium impact photosynthesis directly in the chloroplast. Sure. Yeah. But to be, able to, to be able to enhance the plant by increasing the power units, the chloroplasts, ah, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and it's not like um, it's not like we're forcing or, or driving the plant. A lot of um, some of the plant growth hormones and some other chemi- you know, some of this, a lot of synthetic chemicals. You, you're forcing the plant to do something it's really wasn't designed to do. Whereas what we're triggering is really basic function, and then the plant, and we're just start, we're basically just um, turning the starter motor. And then the, then the engine runs and the plant takes off and does what it's supposed to do because it now starts with a little bit of extra energy. As I said before, you know, um, photosynthesis sort of begets more photosynthesis. So, um, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it just on a very basic, you know, basic um, biology, it just, it's able to function more, you know, the words we use are more efficiency. So the plant's more efficient at, the f- at what it can do given that little kick of, flavonoids um, that trigger these responses. Uh, and is there, if, there's, if there's nutrients there and if there's, um, and there's soil biology able to provide that nutrition, then you, have, then you can start a whole cycle from the soil, below the soil to the top of the plant and, and that's, a, that's the results you're getting. That's if incredible. the biology's not there, then you need to put biology in first. Wow, that's amazing. Um, could you, or would you mind sharing a little bit how did you guys stumble upon across this or what was the, how did you, what do you, you know, what, what did you, how did you stumble across this or how, what, what caused you to, to want to seek out this particular, these, these types of compounds or what types of, you know, uh, things did you extract these things from? If you wouldn't mind sharing. Sure. The, as I said before, the, um, the companies OzSan, which is Australian sanitizer and flavonoids are, have this, they're known to be antimicrobial. And the, what we started off trying to develop was a non-toxic fungicide. So there's um, uh, one of the biggest problems that all the farmers uh, that are growing out there have is that there's a withholding period on all the toxic fungicides. And you, so right at the end of the season, when it's still warm, they're not allowed to use anything to defend the crop against um, fungal outbreaks. And so... If we could come up with a completely non-toxic, sounds a bit of an oxymoron, it kills fungus, so it's toxic to them, but not toxic to humans um, or any other higher life form, then, then let's, uh, let's see if we could do that. And that's where the research came out about flavonoids and with them we figured out trying to get the flavonoids into solution. And then the early trials, when we started to go out and trial the, the, um, the fungicide formulas on crops, we were getting responses back from people about, you know, I, I've, say for instance, we did a trial in a vineyard and he just sprayed two, two rows in the middle of the vineyard 
and he rings up and he goes, um, I've got a big dark green stripe up the middle of my vineyard now. <laughs> what, you know, what's happened? And um, there's a story about a tomato grower that was, he grew processed tomatoes, so he would just grow for the season, pull them all up, you know, um, harvest the whole, whole field. And then he'd just go on holidays because he just used to take one harvest. And he came back after a couple of weeks away on holidays and he had a whole nother har- another yield. And he'd never seen that before um, where he'd been trialling our product. And um, so we have lots of little stories like that. And I, and I wasn't in the company at the time, but so I won't take the credit for it. But the guys that we were doing it at the time, um, uh, they were clever enough to sort of go, hang about, <laughs> there's something in that that's, Figuring, you know, there's there's something more important than possibly the fungicide, um, and uh, and so we went down the path of then trying to work out what that was, and um, and and I guess attuning the product to be able to um, be absorbed into the plant better, rather than being on the surface and killing a fungus. We wanted it now in the plant, which it was seemed to be getting into the plant, so we needed just to enhance that. So we have a carrier built into the product to take it into the plant which is a really good um, feature because when you put a fertiliser, a foliar fertiliser with our product, it goes straight into the plant and reacts really quickly. So you can solve, we've seen people solve, say, magnesium deficiencies, which, you know, in 24 hours they've got their problem solved um, rather than putting it in the ground and waiting waiting for the plant to be able to assimilate it. Um, the, um, yeah, I guess it's... Uh, it's sort of like we weren't trying to invent crop biolife. It sort of came across us. Wow, that's incredible. The, you know, you, you told me a story earlier. I'd, I'd wonder if you could humor me and repeat it about, um, I think you were mentioning tomatoes and, and uh, some work being done um, about uh, genetic oh, expression. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, we did, we, searched the world for um, somebody who could, who was sort of the, the world's expert in photosynthesis and, and the movement of carbon within the plant because we were looking at the way, you know, we, we knew we were doing this nutrient enhancement but we weren't 100% sure on how that nutrient enhancement was being capitalised, you know, how it was started really. And so we found a, a lady, in a professor in a university in Spain um, and we sent some product to her and she did some testing on tomato plants and uh, tomato plants. I'll correct the language for the American audience. Thank you very um, much. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so some of the results from that was stunned us actually. We found, that's one of the things we found about the photosynthesis being greedy is that we found these extra, stoma- she was the one that discovered the extra tomato being growing, you know, grown on, the, on all the new leaves. But what she did was take, she's written a paper on that, that's a published um, paper at the moment out there. Um, but her, she wanted to take it one step further. So she actually mapped the genetics of the tomato plants in the control and then the tr- and in, uh, that were treated um, and overlapped them. And, the, and the, when they're overlapped, the software program, I guess, that she's using um, draws red lines where there's differences in the gene expressions that are turned on. And when you when you look at these these two maps over each other, and you can see where the tr- where the triggered uh, where the genes have been turned on, those genes are all in um, in the metabolism in in metabolizing certain um, compounds. So we've always called the product a, um, a nutrient enhancer, but we've, and we've always known that our secondary metabolites in the, the, being the flavonoids are triggering metabolism. So now we've proven it's 
it's 100% proven that it's triggering this this metabolism in the plant, which the plants get the treat the genes are there. They're just not turned on, right? So we're not making genes. We're just we're just triggering their response. That's awesome. That's the science of epigenetics, rather than genetic modification, which has kind of been the most correct. You know, focused on area of science when it comes to trying to solve problems with in different areas is we need to modify the genes, genetically engineer something. Yeah. And now we're finding that, no, we actually need to enhance or change the environment. And that will affect how genes are expressed and how they're turned on or turned off. So that's exciting. That's, that's, that's the new frontier, I think, is sure. epigenetics rather than gene editing. And so what you're describing is exactly that that these plants that or these compounds that plants produce have the ability to change how genes are expressed and turn them on and turn them off. That's really exciting. Yeah. And I think, you know, we have a saying within the business, I suppose it's not unique, but you know, it's, we're working with nature, not against it. I mean, if you're working, you're working against nature using a lot of synthetic chemicals and if and you're just you're on a you're you're fighting yourself. You're going to meet yourself back on the other end, trying to trying to figure out how what int- what problem have I introduced by taking that problem away. But nature has been doing it a lot. You know, I I tell this story a bit. I told it today earlier on. A, a guy came up to me at a trade show one time and he said, "You know, Kevin, these plants know how to been, know how to grow before we came along. They knew how to do this before we tried to force them to grow. So you just got to go back and let these plants grow the way that they naturally should." And um, and that's hopefully what we're we're in the forefront. And companies like your your company are in the forefront of making those changes in the way agriculture will be done in the future. That's absolutely incredible to see. Um, I was enjoying uh, a podcast. John Kemp was mentioned. He had interviewed Dr. Mary Lucero, and she was talking about the interactions of endophytes, organisms coming in the plant, and and triggering genetic expression as well. And talking about, you know, the ramifications again, genetic modification, like uh, the hubris that we have to think that we need to come monkey about rather than drawing in deeper and understanding the natural methods again with our environment. And so, you know, while we're talking about adding beneficial biology and we're seeing when we add beneficial biology, the plants are able to absorb those through rhizophagy and, and I mean, they become endophytes and or bits and pieces, you know, on and on it goes. And then again, as you're describing using flavonoids, which come from plants and, and using that to trigger genetics. I mean, yeah, the question becomes, well, why do we think that we, that we have the ability to go in and pop the hood monkey about <laughs> where do we, we barely have genomes sequenced, let alone understanding what's triggering them. And so uh, it's so encouraging to hear you talk about what's going on behind the scenes when we're applying nature to nature, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, working with rather than against. Absolutely fascinating. Exactly. Uh, Maybe touch a little bit, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, in that same research you had mentioned that you guys were looking at the ability of a foliar applied material, i.e., bioflavonoids and how that impacted carbon sequestration. Could you touch on that? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Cycling. So, yeah, back to photosynthesis, I guess, is pho- photosynthesis um, creates this, uh, this glucose molecules, a carbohydrate, and that carbohydrate in different plants, I guess it's arguably about 50 to 60% of that carbohydrate's moved down to the roots and then um, exudated out into the soil to feed soil biology. And so in carbon, in, in carbon sequestration in soil, soil organic carbon, um, the more that the plant can push down into the soil and exudate, the more it's got available, the more it will come. It's just math. It's the more 60% of one number and 60% of another number, a bigger number is more. <laughs> so the more it can push down into the, out into the soil in the form of exudation, again, the plant, the plant because that photosynthesis is triggering um, uh, this efficiency, then the plant wants more nutrition. So the plant's going to feed more biology to get more nutrition and attract and push out more root system and touch more soil and um, and and f- and farm, you know, and nurture and farm that biology around its its root system. Um, mycorrhizae, in particular, are the ones that can that that is long hair, hair extensions almost from for roots, you know, and they. They cover so much more ground than the root itself can cover. So they want that mycorrhizae to bring nutrition. You know, they're basically little railway lines bringing up uh, nutrients, and they've stopped. But they've, they're they're elongating based on the carbon they're being fed from, and that carbon source is the plant feeding the carbon into the soil, and that's where you get soil organic carbon, and you get the more of that network uh, um, network below the ground that you can form, particularly with fungi. Is, is permanence, is so you get carbon permanence into the soil. And the more carbon, if you can move up the carbon by just even, you know, uh, we start with, we're starting, you know, most of the farm soils around the world are at very low numbers of carbon, sub 2%, um, sub 1%. And I think there was a study done not long ago that a lot of the soils in the United States are half a percent of carbon in the soil, mm-hmm. in the top layers of the soil at least anyway. And, um, and, and, and that's and that's just because not anybody forced it to happen. It's just the way we've been farming, and um, the reverse of that is just to is just to get that that the plant efficiency, as I was talking about in photosynthesis, more carbohydrate to be formed, and then treat the soils in such a way that those soil organisms are not wiped out every every cycle, or not wiped out by um, synthetic chemicals or fertilizers or um, and you know, if you over over overuse of things like urea and um, and soil disturbances, I mean, there's there's a need to till sometimes, and but the, you know, some of the time you can try and get away with it or till to a smaller level in the soil and not go too deep. And there's reasons for doing for tr- treating the soil with a bit more respect, I suppose, and and keeping that soil biology alive. The more you can keep it alive, and without less mortality every time you. Every year you build more and more and more of it, and then you build it at a deeper level. Did you guys see a percentage increase on that uh, independent research that you saw? On yeah, we've uh, we've done. Uh, it takes a while to build it, so looking at the numbers, uh, we did a quick trial um, recently with a, a plant called a safflower, and a safflower has a really good, a big tap root, and it's a decent sized sort of plant, and. Um, in a in a three month period, we saw um, 
Uh, I think it was like an 18% increase in soil carbon content. That's not doesn't mean it had 18% carbon in the soil. It was an increase of 18%. It was pretty low to start with. and But we kicked it up a couple of notches, you know, and that was pretty um, – uh, uh, that was an, in- an incentive for us to continue with, like, a bigger program. So um, we're doing some big programs at the moment back at – Back home in Australia. That's awesome. Now, did you did you tell me earlier that you guys had uh, submitted or had your material go to uh, kind of a try or a what was it um, through the UN in a? Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, we um, that was a, that was just pre-COVID, but the um, yeah, we we were shortlisted in the United Nations for a land care award um, based on. On um, the United Nations has uh, seventeen pillars for the future of the, the planet, um, and uh, and I wrote to them in in the application, I suppose, and just said, look, you know, we out of the seventeen, I think we could address eleven of them with our product. And as far as as, wow. as a land care, uh, if you used it in land care management, and um, and so yeah, we were shortlisted worldwide on the top five. Wow, that's so, impressive. So do you, you know, I remember we've used CropBioLife uh, in key points, key stressful points in crop development. You know, literally as, as we sit in here, it's 106 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's pretty hard on plants, especially C3 photosystems um, here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we've, we've used CropBioLife to address plant stress, specifically heat stress. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you know, the more we, the more we look at at plant um, output, so much of the time it's it's dependent on stress, how the plant handles stress. Sure. So, what do you guys see with stress reduction, or or in that vein? Um, it, it's only an observation at this point. I have, we haven't got the science. So, funnily enough, is just last week we we got uh, knocked back on a. On a grant, we applied for a grant to, f- to further study drought resistance and drought tolerance in um, in plants and uh, based on soil management. and um, And I think that's part of it. So I think what I find with the um, the results we've seen, and, and again, a lot of that was with grapes because we've done so much with grapes. But we've seen a lot of um, vines, um, and we've seen trees do it too, where they've survived and and. Uh, through a heat stress event without their leaves folding over and without wilting and um, just in Modesto here in the states we there was a, we did a trial and with peaches and the peaches stayed firm through a, a very long it was I think it was seven days of um, plus 100 degrees and um, and we were told that, uh, that that was just impossible for those to have stayed firm through that type of temperature um, uh, but I think it's a I think it's a holistic thing with the plant. So it's not just just the plant doing that. It's a plant soil relationship. So for the plant to tolerate a, um, a heat condition or a, even a long term drought or anything like that, it's about the health of the the health of the soil under the plant and the way that plant's interacting with it. So the part that we play in that, I think, is that we're talking about that extra exudation capability and the signalling flavonoids are part of the signalling in the soil as well. And so being able to to attract the soil biology to work with the plant, um, adding more carbon in the soil, you know, there's the, the data's there that shows the more carbon you can have in the soil, the more water holding capability it has. 
Um, so um, I think it's I think it, to answer your question, I think that the heat stress and the stress event stuff is is getting that that plant efficiency going, that health of the plant, the health of the soil working together, and that makes it resilient to those sorts of events. And those climate events are getting more and more, and, and I think that's part of it. You know, we see. We see even wind, you know, storms and stuff like that, heavy hail storms and things damaging plants and the, the recovery is spectacular compared to plants that aren't treated and that aren't, that don't have healthy soil below them. Mm. Yeah, here at Soilcraft, that's one of the main reasons we've used um, the bioflavonoid material specifically is for heat stress because we've noticed that um, in the event that we have high temperatures, if it's been applied pre that high temperature, those plants seem to function at a higher level. Um, we've noticed it in hops specifically because when it gets hot like this, man, they just kind of, they just, they don't look happy. And um, when they've been treated with the CBL, um, the leaves seem to kind of stand up and continue to, to handle that stress. And when, because what happens if they, have too much heat stress they actually begin to die back at the top yeah um and so if we can prevent that then that's that's a win um what have you seen in other parts of the country you're from australia in dry land crops we have a lot of grain crops here in the northwest um how do you guys um what are you types of things have you seen in grain crops uh again comes back to soil i think in the grain crops the the grain crops that we've been working with um you know we can we can get that efficiency above the ground, long term plant health and long term resilience or climate resilience comes from the soil with the plant. So in in places where we've been able to work with the farm and and run a regenerative program, even even very basic stuff, and um, we work with a worm casting product as well in in Australia and um, uh, called Worm Hit, and uh, so if we put put worm hit out on the ground um, as it, it's pelletized. Uh, it's full of dormant biology. You spray crop biolife on the plant above the ground and, and they work together to, to build a, a decent um, ecosystem of life but below the ground. And, uh, and that uh, is where resilience over a drought condition or, um, or a wet, you know, any weather pattern really, um, even like wheat can't stand high winds if, it, if it's... If it's um uh, if it's uh, at the wrong time of the season and it falls over, but if it's a healthy plant, it's got the cell structures are, sm- are, more, are stronger and they're able to withstand the, the wind. Well, you, you, we were talking earlier and you mentioned something about guard cells. Yeah, that's I was, yeah, I was thinking thinking about that when you were talking about the drought stuff and I meant to mention it. So thanks for bringing that up. So guard cells, one of the things I guess that protects the plants in there in, in losing too much heat, uh, moisture in a drought condition or to high temperature condition are the stomata um, uh, not staying open. And so there's the guard cells that sit around the stomata are actually they look when you look at those videos I've seen um, you can see them on YouTube as well. They they look like they're talking, they're opening and shutting like um, reasonably regularly. And, um, and that's these, these guard cells that are uh, closing to you know, hold in moisture and opening. And, um, and again, I keep coming back to flavonoids, but flavonoids actually are part of, are, exist in those guard cells as well. So, but it, it's, flavonoids are form a, a part of the full polyphenolic um, chemistry in the, 
in the plant and and I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I consider the polyphenolics as a nervous system. The, the way the plants, and you know, you were talking about colour, that colour is an com- out, outgoing communication, but they also, you know, they communicate through exudates and under the soil and, um, and they respond to things, um, climate condition back as well. So that's how the plant reacts to its climate, or to its environment, sorry, not its climate. That's uh, incredible. I mean, colours, yeah, okay, we, we say, oh, that's what we perceive with our eye and we associate it with things. But we know, you know, it has direct, it, it directly ties to frequency, you know, and we know purple colors, for instance, vibrate at a higher frequency than other colors like red, et cetera. But, um, so that's fascinating. So, so specifically, what are you seeing with the guard cells? More movement or less movement? Uh, regulated movement. So okay. the right movement, really. Gotcha. So, yeah, they'll open when they're meant to be open and close when they're meant to be closed. So rather than being left open because the plant's not able to, they're not, it's not, it's not effic- efficient enough or not effective enough to... Making sure those guards are on duty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Make sure they march well. Yeah, instead of no-shows. Get, get back to work, you guys. What are some of the other things you've seen um, that maybe surprised you yeah. with with bioflavonoids and whether it's doesn't have to be specifically in uh, crops, animals? Um, yeah, we've, yeah. One of the ones we've just we've been uh, we opened an office in India last year, and um, as we talked about, it, uh, flavonoids being a sanitizer, flavonoids. Uh, um, I don't know if anybody saw in some of the research during COVID that flavonoids actually are, um, can, um, are a fairly good defence against viruses. Um, and the way they work is that they, specific types of flavonoids, and they can they attach to the virus and render the virus inert. It's like basically tying an anchor to them so they can't function or binding them up. And so um, they can't multiply, replicate, and or infect when they've got a flavonoid stuck to them. So and cool. Like Velcro. And um, I'm being very basic here, but that's I'm not the sci- biological scientist um, or a micro scientist, <laughs> microbiologic scientist, a virologist. Is that the word? Um, sure. Anyway, so. One of those, one for of sure. Those. Um, uh, so that was some of the research that was sort of shown during COVID, but we sort of, we've seen some of that before, which is part of the reason why we're trying to develop a, a sanitizer product with or a. Um, fungicidal antimicrobial product with so we do have a disinfectant that we developed um which is a surface disinfectant and it's being used um it's because it's so safe and non-toxic it's made from all plant matter so the flavonoids are part of plant matter and there's some other ingredients in it that come from the plant and um from plants and uh so we had that being used in some dairies to do some sanitation work in india and there's a disease going through cows at the moment across Asia, um, Africa and Asia, um, called lumpy skin disease, which is quite an horrific disease for the cows. And um, it has a mortality rate of around 60% or something like that. And um, it uh, starts in their blood s- system and um, causes these, um, these viral lumps. They look like the, the cows swallowed a bag of marbles. But once it gets into their internal organs, it kills them. And... Um, and so that's a virus, actually. It's caused by a virus. And uh, oddly enough, uh, without even without asking us, they decided to wash a cow with our product to see whether it would kill the virus because they've seen the results that we killed COVID. We actually have clinical results that it killed COVID, not wow. in a person but on a surface. 
So I figured, when they told me, I said, that's not going to work. We can kill it on a hard surface, but we, you know, but killing it inside a cow, inside the bloodstream, it's never going to happen. Well, it worked. <laughs> and, and, um, and I went, well, okay, one cow, that's not going to be, that's not conclusive. You know, remember the 60%, he was probably oh, part incredible. of the 40% that cow, yeah. or she was. And, um, and so, of course, they ignored me again and went off and sent <laughs> it to a, 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 um, a quarantine centre that had 32 infected cows. Because what it spreads within the herd if they have if they leave it there. So if there's one infected, they send it off to a quarantine station, a quarantine center. And um, because there is cows, if people don't know, cows are very sacred in India, so they will they won't put it down because it's got the disease, but they will keep it alive as much as they can. They'll treat it and they'll try and rescue it. Anyway, they washed all 32 cows with with L4. It's our product, Osan, and um, and they all recovered. And so we went, okay. And so then it went off to clinical trials and it's, it's in clinical trial at the moment in live animals. And, um, and it's in, um, we, did, we did the um, in vitro trials, so it's been tested and approved actually in India quickly because it's such a big disease. A, um, veterinary, um, the government agencies over there um, fast-tracked approval for its use um, under under certain conditions at the moment, but yeah, and unbelievable, yeah, a, a topical. Well, I mean, obviously there's more to it, but a yeah. presumed topical <laughs> sanitizer. Yeah, so we worked out that the flavonoids are able to they get into the plant. You know, we wear a foliar skin. spray, so they go into the leaves, and then we know that it, they don't go through the stomach. They don't go like typically through through openings in the stomata and stuff like that. The flavonoids actually move through the cells on the surface, so that's what they're doing. They're going into this through the skin into the bloodstream and then they're moving around and the thing about when they kill of the virus they don't just it doesn't destroy the flavonoid so the flavonoid just goes and hunts for another one serious so it's yeah so the flavonoids just move around inside the bloodstream and so incredible that's what that's what we're trying to prove at the moment so i'm speaking a little bit above ahead of the clinical trial results but that's the that's the results we've been seeing gosh that's we've been doing work with mastitis as well so so serious okay yeah. so basically a you know, are you a washing the outer? Teat wash. Yeah. Teat wash. Wow, that would be. Yeah, and it seems to be working really well. And again, they, you know, that we got all these photographs of of these cows being cured, and we've been showing them to scientists over there, and they're going, "How, how does that work? You know, the infections on the inside of the teat. How washing the outside? You know, we're going well." Don't you're the, you're the, I'm talk, coming to you because you're the scientists. Okay. <laughs> you're the veterinary scientists. We just know it works. And then so when we've gone out and actually done that proof, that's actually passed its clinical trials. So it's uh, it's 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 moving well, into the teat in a way to kill the kill the infection. Maybe it's similar to what you're seeing in crops. If you mentioned earlier to me that um, you guys had seen where you apply foliar applications to the plant. Um, with bioflavonoids and then that in you know in somewhat directly but indirectly affects the soil microbial population mm. in the root zone you mentioned you've yeah. seen some re done some research on that mm. as well so maybe it's a similar effect maybe it's not it's it's causing something that's causing something yeah sort of a cause and effect yeah Mate, yeah i we um yeah it was always a stretch and i've been wandering around the world saying this for years because our re earlier research showed big increases. You know, we had three, 400 and 500% increases in soil biology populations under plants treated with the product. And and you go, you know, even a lot, some 
pretty senior biologists are going, don't you, there's no way. You know, how, how does a foliar spray improve soil health? But when you look at it, the way a plant builds soil health, it's, it's simply a matter of improving the efficiency above the plant, into the plant to be able to feed the soil. If the plant well, can feed the soil. Yeah, through root exudation, yeah. Um, and signalling as well. And so, so all that function, back to the word efficiency, if the plant's running efficiency, then part of its, its job in life is to, is to get nutrition from the soil biology. Mm. So it will, it will feed the soil biology. Fascinating. Yeah, that's, I mean, it makes me think of Pollock's work on, on sta- the states of water. And, you know, there's just so many things we don't understand about, about just the cell, the human cell, the nature of it, how, how things move in and out, and, and even water. And uh, so I, I mean, that's one of the best things I think about working in our, in, in our realm is just awe. You know, just constantly we live in a state of awe. Yeah, sure. Some of the science that's been coming out of late, you know, the, um, I know um, John, John Kemp did an article on it ages ago, um, earlier last year, I think, or even possibly during COVID. I can't remember when I heard this, the podcast about rhizophagy, which is, you know, roots eating, absorbing right. bacteria. And, and at last year's um, Acres Soil Conference, they, um, Dr. James White, do a presentation on that and all of us are in the industry and we're all going we're all got our mouths open watching this stuff yeah. like that and we're going, what that's amazing <laughs> you know and so we we you know, i like to say that we you know people we we know more about the moon than we know about what's going on on the ground we're walking on yeah so exactly it's, um it's, and i think the i think the science is 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 coming it's catching up. I think there's a lot of research now to try and work out instead of doing the genetic modification as you said you know instead of you know, trying to trying to work different ways around problems that we've virtually introduced ourselves. We need to go back and look at the way nature really works and work with it. Yeah. So the analysis of how nature does stuff is, and, and it still stuns you. It still stuns me today. I work in it every day of my life, and it still stuns me when I read something. And go, wow, that they, they can do that. Some of the stuff about how plants communicate with each other and how Serious. plants sense their environment and you know, it's, there's some great research out there. It's amazing. We, we get really excited about that here at Soilcraft just because our, you know, our, our nemesis or our, our goal, our vision is to enable people and also learn ourselves to help enable people to be healthier. And we feel like that starts with our food. And so Absolutely. if we can enable farmers that produce food or produce a crop that becomes food for an animal which becomes food or produces food say you know dairy or whatever that is um and eliminates the the need for some of these toxic materials that we've um for the most part ignorantly been using and now we realize there's a lot of negative side effects to our environment to us as humans to the soil to our planet and so we're always looking for tools to help us in that pro- in that that uh, that process. So it's really exciting. I can't even remember how how you and I met, but it's exciting to to use tools like this. I think it was and a, 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 an <laughs> trade show, actually. Probably it, was. Yeah. So yeah, it's really exciting. Is there anything that you wish um, maybe? people knew or understood about what you guys are doing or that you could maybe explain to that? Um, I think uh, 
just going to go back a little bit what you just said. I think it's about it's about the the, the fixing the planet. You know, it's a, I mean, it sounds really cliche, grandiosis that you know that we can think we can fix the planet, but we we can all contribute to it. And it's it's organisations like yourself who we work with the best who have understood, you know, ha, have a, have the challenge to go and show farmers and and how food can be grown. And it's about this efficiency we just talked about, about everything to do with bringing up plant health and bringing up nutrition from the soil. You know, I, I go, I say it quite a lot, you know, plants have one job in life and that's to grow their next generation. They're going to grow a, a fruit or a seed or whatever and that happens to be what we want from them. So if we can just let them do their job and give them the tools to do that job, your description of these are what with things like us as a tool, it's just a tool to an end of nutrition and if you can get, you know, a nutrient-rich um, produce, then you can feed, you know, feed more people with it. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about, you know, if we get nine billion people on the planet, how are we going to feed them all? You don't. There's you, you don't need to tear down rainforests and build more farms. You need to just build more nutrition in the food we can produce now. Mm-hmm. And if a nutrient-rich food, by the way, doesn't rot as easily. So it actually has a higher shelf life than a poorly grown or a nutrient poor um, fruit or, or, or whatever. So any food grown, um, any anything grown with the right sugar levels and right, um, you know, um, nutritional levels will, will preserve itself for a little bit longer. I love the uh, saying, nature doesn't produce garbage, only nutrients. Oh, yes. So when you think about that, it's it's so true. That's what nature does. Something becomes food for something else, which becomes food for something else, and the cycle yeah, goes on. Yeah, everything and so exactly. everything is nutritional in nature. Even a disease, the disease is there because there's something that it needs or it wants or that it's supposed to to use for energy. And that process, that's how everything is. So if we can kind of grasp that concept and say, okay, that's how we approach problems. Let's figure out. You know, let's ask that question. Why? What's here? What's the nutrition that this insect or this disease or this weed is after? And if we can correct that, then we win. <laughs> yeah, I think it all works in it all works in harmony with each other. If we can, you know, the trick. It's really hard to 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 um to turn off what you're doing and what you've been used to doing for twenty or thirty years, or what your father did before you and on the farm, and and to change that. Um, uh, and I th- and one of the things I, I guess is that I can't, I, I think what we've always thought and and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, we've always thought that bacteria and fungi are bad. You know, we never, you know, you always you basically spend your life trying to kill them all all the time. You know, you kill kill them in your bathroom if you get a bit of mold. You kill, you know, you're killing and you know it, it's always they've always been given a bad rap, but they're actually you know if you consider it really, there's no such thing as bad microorganisms it's just if you unbalance things then you get one that takes off and and becomes a a, a becomes nasty and starts doing some sort of economic damage to the farm if you can and and i think that some sometimes we might have to put up with a little bit of damage in order to you know to um as long as it's not you know damaging the bank you know your, your your um yield or your ability to pay the mortgage or sending the kids to school and stuff like that and feed your children. And so I think you have to take these baby steps and parts of the farm and take these practices to, to look at the, 
at working with the way nature's intending it to do, intending it for these plants to have grown. That's, Amen. That's uh, <laughs> Trent's favorite, one of his favorite authors. Uh, you know, he's a contemporary of Lister. Talks about um, that exact same notion. Instead of seeing everything, you know, as good or bad organisms, so just there's organisms with roles. And Shiboso says, you know, no, it's it's weak hosts that then become susceptible to organisms. You know, it's amazing because as long as there's an electrical stimuli, you know, we're alive. But as soon as soon as one of us has a heart attack and falls over on the floor, the same organisms living in harmony with us start eating us. And what's changed? But you know, there's no electrical impulse, and so. Um, thanks for bringing that in. Cause that's exactly how we feel. It's, we really do a disservice to ourselves when we, we see something, whether it's a weed or an insect or a fungi or a bacteria or whatever it is and say, oh, this thing's in my way. It's really, it's really causing me grief. It's getting in the way of what I'm trying to do. And, and if we can humble ourselves a bit and stop for a moment and say, okay, sure. Fair enough. But what am I doing? And, and is it, <laughs> am I doing something? What should I change? You know, and of course, you know, that applies to everything in life. If we, if we apply that, we have happier marriages, happier kids, et cetera. If we start with ourselves and say, what, maybe look inward first, because that's who we can change. And that's whether you're an agronomist, whether you're a practitioner, whether you're a farmer, whatever you are, if, if we, if we all work together, but we're, we're working with that attitude, looking inward, what can I, what, how can I change? How can I do better? How can I improve? It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're at the beginning of, of this regenerative journey or you're at the end, seemingly at the, the cutting edge of it. If we maintain that attitude, you know, I'm confident we'll, we'll leap forward in strides. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for contributing to that. <laughs> no problem Thanks for coming all the way from Australia. It's awesome. You're very welcome. I, uh, you know, and I, I, I appreciate uh, being part of this and I, and, um, and the work that you guys do. And as I, as I said earlier, you know, it's, organizations that are got the same sort of mindset I, I suppose on looking at looking at um a solution that that benefits everybody in the long run you know and, you tr- and it comes down to the food you know we we've got to survive on this planet as well and we have to be we have to eat and um and i think that's uh as i said you know that i think it, you know you're taking it these microorganisms will take an advantage if there's given one and and that advantage normally is an unbalanced in the rest of them, if they're in in this in like say for instance we were talking earlier about say some of the fungal diseases like say powdery mildew and powdery downy mildew are the two two most common I guess that everybody's dealing with a lot of people are dealing with and they they are normally laying dormant in the soil waiting for the right opportunity laying in the top layers of the soil or in the refuse on the top of the soil and they're waiting for the right temperatures and the rain drops and all that sort of stuff to splash up onto the plant and and um, send out their spores. Um, but while they're on the surface, they're part of the food cycle. If the soil biology is 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 humming, you know, if there's a good good amount of bi- if you've got your billions of biology under the living in the soil, they become part of the food cycle. So you minimise the amount of opportunity that those fungi have to to do damage to your crop by making them part of the food cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the natural. They were there before. You know, you go into a forest, you don't see see you might see a sick plant and it'll be being t- attacked as like you were describing you know when, a, when i think nature decides that this it's time for this plant to be 
return back to nature. So it actually, its component parts get broken down um, and it is returned to the soil and the next, the next plants are able to use those same, same um, um, uh, nutrients that were in that plant or that person or that, you know, or that animal that will be broken down and be turned to the soil. And so, but in, in a natural forest, you don't see any opportunity. There's nothing being opportunist in a, in a natural, in a, in, a, in, a, in a native forest that hasn't been touched because everything's balanced. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I mean, that's a key word, I suppose, is the balance. And you know, everybody talks about balance in nature. Nature likes to be, it likes yeah. an even playing field. Mm-hmm. Excellent. If we can bring that to agriculture and commercial food production, I yeah. think we're going to be much, much further ahead. Sure. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us as we expand our paradigms and explore what's possible in the realm of regenagronomy. If you would like to contact us or learn more about what we do, please visit our website at www.soilcraft.com as well as our YouTube channel. If you have topics you would like us to unpack or stories, please connect with us so that we can share them with others.